Wrestling Recommendations, episode 37. I am your host, the tired, the sore, Eddie Shepard, along with... The fucking tired of trivia, Travis Laster. Jesus Christ, it was like a three-hour marathon to get through the trivia game tonight because we had some new woman. I won't call her what I was calling her on the way home as I was trying to get back here to record this podcast, but... (laughs) This lady was a teacher. She needs to teach herself how to read some trivia questions, motherfucker. Yeah, Travis went on this big tirade about her. Uh, really quick, I was telling them my. Uh, you may have noticed in the last couple episodes, like we both haven't really been like full force. Uh, I had a lot of stress going on, man. I was trying to figure out my my office job that I work at. They are closing. Uh, actually, today was the final in office day, so um, I'm working from home. Uh, for them throughout the rest of this week. And then next week is my last, my last day is like the 30th. And then they're paying me an extra week for uh, sticking it out to the end, but they're moving my office to Florida. So I've been in like weird mode trying to figure out what I'm going to do for a job. Luckily I I got another job lined up. It starts the sixth. So I'm pretty much not missing a paycheck through all of this. So it's a, it's a little bit easier, but as I said, as I was sore, uh, I was helping our office. Uh, we had some desks and stuff we had to move in, and it was raining today. Uh, I'm pushing all these desks in there uh, onto the U-Haul, and I'm going to step off, and I slip off, and I flat back bump onto the, the uh, sidewalk. Uh, yeah. And uh, luckily, it didn't really hurt me too bad, but my 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 back is all, like, my lower back's just really sore. I scratched my leg up, and then I scratched my, it looked like I have a third nipple uh, where, like, uh, one of the shelves was as I fell and I felt really weird, but uh, I'm really excited. Sure, Travis. I'm sure. Brandon would look that third nipple for you. So if you need that looked after, he seems like the kind of guy that would look a third nipple. Eric too. Eric too. Absolutely. Travis, this week's episode, you already told me you have a hot take on this match. We'll save it. Uh, but we're getting Kurt Angle versus Chris Benoit versus Chris Jericho from WrestleMania 16 or 2000. Uh, Brandon hates it when it's called WrestleMania 2000, so I like saying it just to to know that it pisses Brandon off. Just look at my background. I did it on purpose. If I could move it yeah, around you did. here. Yeah, you did. I think this is from the video game, actually, not yeah. from the pay per view. Because the I was gonna I was gonna ask you that. <laughs> the scratch is green and not red, like I think the WrestleMania one was. So, yeah. Yeah, Fuck let's you, get Brandon. this out of the way really what... quick. No one cares what uh, I, is. I was so excited when the video game came out as a kid. I had so much fun because I went from playing uh, that Attitude, that game Blue mm-hmm. Balls, to this game, and I was like, "Holy shit! This is the this is uh, WCW uh, NWO Revenge." I'm like, "This is fucking amazing," but it's WWF. Just with uh, just with WWE characters, WWF characters, I played the hell out of this game. Played the hell out of No Mercy. I can remember when Attitude and Warzone came out. I was just so excited to have a wrestling game. And now 
to go back and play those games feels like you're fam- playing fucking Contra or something. Like you've got to hit three directional pad buttons and then a button and then you do a fucking suplex. It's like playing Mortal Kombat, but not as cool as moves, pretty much. And then yeah. the, the stunner was like back, back, down, right, fucking X or something on PlayStation. I, I always had to look at the move list because I couldn't remember it. Yeah, I was like that too. So uh, Christmas in 98, I got my, my Nintendo 64 and Revenge. And then um, Christmas, I want to say would have been 99 or two. Did this game come out in 2000? Because I, I mean, I, I, I want to say I got it for Christmas that year. That's why I was at, I couldn't remember when I may have came out in November. I could be wrong, um, but I, I'm never I'll never forget. My mom used to hide all of our Christmas presents under her bed. And it was, I looked and I saw it and I was like, fuck yeah. And I had acts so surprised when I opened it on Christmas. Like I didn't know, but uh, I love this game so much. And then of course, No Mercy came after it and just changed everything with ladder matches. And I think they had cage matches. It was one of the first games that had a real quality cage match. It, it's crazy. Cause like WWF games were doing like going up. My hand is vanishing, but going up and then WCW games were just eating shit. Every Backstage week. assault, <laughs> nitro, uh, mayhem. The I actually, I'll be honest with you, I actually enjoyed mayhem. I had fun playing that one, uh, just because you can unlock different people and I had Bobby Duncan Jr. on the game. <laughs> Rick what? Fuller's on that fucking game too. Like no one wants to play as Rick Fuller. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, but go back to attitude. I remember I saved up my money and I, I was like, Mom, I need, I want to buy this game, but it was like. I can't remember how much money it was now, man. It was like probably like 40 bucks. And I was like, change up. I'm like, I'll, I'm like, I can wash your cars. I can do this and that for you. And, uh, I remember we bought it from Kmart and I got it home and I played it. I'm like, this game is fucking terrible. <laughs> like imagine us being able to have like YouTube and game reviews then mm-hmm. and being like, Oh cool. I just saved myself a ton of money by not buying this fucking game. Well, the other thing is too, man, is Nitro, I don't know about WWF, can't remember the ads for WWF, but WCW was selling Revenge for $70 in 98 on their TV show. And we thought, for, we think $70 was a bunch for a game back then. That's what we have to pay fucking now for a base version of a game for a PlayStation 5 or a Xbox Series X or whatever the fuck Xbox is on. I'm not an Xboxer. Sorry, guys. Just showed my hand there. But um, totally on the, the Sony, Sony uh, boat. At this point, but seventy dollars for a game is fucking a lot. It didn't. I think I sent it to our group. Uh, someone mm-hmm. uh, translate or like did uh, for inflation. It's like one hundred and eighty-eight dollars or some shit like that for the game, for what it was that time period. Yeah, which is nuts. But I played. I got. I would have got my seventy dollars worth out of Revenge. This game. I mean, WrestleMania two thousand. No mercy. I played the hell out of. Them. I still have them now, uh, and a sixty-four just because I like to go back and play them from time to time. That's right. It's usually kind of our birthday tradition is we all get together and play Nintendo 64. True, true. Well, Travis, like we were talking about, this mat, uh, this episode's covering Kurt Angle, Benoit, and Jericho, all three men's first WrestleMania. Uh, we've actually talked about all three men on the podcast already on past episodes, so we're kind of going to start towards the end of all their careers, like some of these guys in WCW all the way to you know their debuts in the WWF. Uh, Chris Benoit, guys, I know he's a very controversial topic. Um, we've already broke down Benoit's arrival in the WWF on our Benoit Kurt Angle episode that you can go check back in our archives. 
So let's roll right into the other Chris, Chris Jericho. Although we pretty much kind of broke everything down with Chris Jericho when we talked about uh, the match he had with Dean Malenko from Slamboree, but we'll go right into it. So in August of 1998, Chris Jericho defeated Stevie Ray to win the World Television Championship as Stevie Ray was substituting for then-champion Booker T. Soon after, Jericho repeatedly called out WCW world champion Goldberg in an attempt to begin a feud with him. This had potential to have so much money. Yeah, and they did nothing with it but spare him in a, in a fucking entrance way, and that was the end of their little feud because Goldberg thought he was too big of a star to wrestle Chris Jericho, which that could have been people in his ear, but it really oh, it was. They really lost an opportunity, even if it was just to squash Jericho on pay-per-view. People wanted to see Jericho get his ass kicked by somebody it, at this point. What would that have hurt Goldberg? Goldberg does not have a match at Fall Brawl 98. Why would you no. not put him in that match? Let It gives Goldberg the rub of being on pay-per-view. Jericho gets the rub of working with a big star. Even if he's getting squashed, like he still worked with Goldberg. Here's the funny thing about Fall Brawl 98, the VHS. Yep. Goldberg's on the cover with Wolfpack Sting carrying him out, and that's a picture from a Nitro. That's not even on I want to say that's that the show. Nitro the, the next night. I could be wrong. Could be I, I I just know it's right there. I know it's from a Nitro because, yeah, Goldberg's not even on the show. Why would you not want to be on the show and get some pay-per-view money? Like, even if it is against fucking Jericho, you're going to work for a minute and a half, two minutes. Like, what's that well, going to hurt? anyways... Another Goldberg number on the street. And, Goldberg and Sting could have been a draw on your fall brawl show, but you didn't do that. I don't understand. I don't get it. I digress. Chris Jericho cites Eric Bischoff, Goldberg, and Hulk Hogan as the refusal to book Jericho in a pay-per-view squash, squash match against Goldberg, which Jericho felt would be a big draw as a major reason, reason for wanting to leave WCW. Can't blame him. In November 1998, Jericho lost the television title to your favorite, Conan. Orle, Fuck buddy. Conan. Fuck Conan. Keeping it real. Keeping it, keeping it 100. Uh, in early 1999, Jericho began a feud with Perry Saturn. The feud saw Jericho and Saturn wrestle at sold out as Jericho defeated Saturn in a loser must wear a dress match. Saturn finally defeated Chris Jericho at uncensored in a dog collar match. No one talks about that match. Wasn't good. No. 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 <laughs> I mean, it's 99. There the the uptick is already it's already start, the momentum's already starting to the, the, the shift with uh WWF pulling ahead and um we already had the finger poke. So, it's all downhill from there. To me, that's it's all downhill from there. Jericho alternated between WCW and Japanese tours before he decided to sign a contract with the WWF in June 1999. Jericho's final WCW match came during a Peoria, Peoria, Illinois, at a house show on July 21st, where he and Eddie Guerrero lost to Billy Kidman and Rey Mysterio Jr. in a tag match. In the weeks before Jericho's debut, a clock labeled Countdown to the New Millennium appeared on Raw. Jericho has said he was inspired to do this as his entrance when he saw a similar clock in a post office counting down to the year 2000. What a great 
way. It's still the most memorable way I personally think that a guy has debuted. Yeah. And it, it gave something like people didn't know what it was, didn't know what it was counting down to. I mean, smart fans figured it out, I guess, but I didn't. I was too young to really care. I didn't know. To, to figure out how far away that was. Um, And this was a period of time where I didn't really know what dirt sheets was. So when Jericho showed up, I was legitimately surprised because I was still a kid enjoying just watching wrestling every week. So it's super memorable to, memorable to me just because I didn't know what was going on, what was going to happen. So it's very vivid in my childhood watching him debut on Raw with its stupid haircut. Yes, and his awful mannerisms. Um, I remember watching it happen as well, but when I saw Jericho, I was like, I was really high. I was like, oh, it's Chris Jericho. I was like, why is the Chris why is Chris Jericho in the rock going back and forth? Because I had been programmed by WCW to not believe he would be a big star. And I think that's kind of one of the first things that people would think of. Jericho's a hell of a hell of a hand, but He's not really a big superstar. I mean, so far around that time, we saw uh, the giant Paul White showed up and became the big show. And even then, we were still having a hard time believing that he was a big star, even though he had already been, you know, mega pushed in WCW. Yeah, he was already the giant, wrestled Nash, wrestled Hogan. He got killed by Hogan, thrown off Cobo Hall. I mean... <laughs> He was he was came a back. huge star in '95. Came back, wasn't wet at all. Came back. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, he was in the NWO, but then you got to look. The last year that the Giant was in WCW, came to the ring smoking a cigarette. He was in tag teams with with uh, Scott Hall and Sting, and like he had gotten bigger, and like they didn't do anything with him. He was kind of a joke. He wrestled Goldberg, lost multiple times. So WCW had given you that already that he wasn't a big star so when he first came in everybody's like oh it's a cool way to debut but then you got the rock coming and cut him cut him down essentially right off the bat and then i just don't think he clicked with the wwe audience at the time especially when you had him just thrust right into the corporation and in a mini feud with the rock in the corporation so it didn't make any sense to me like why they debuted him that way. And then he becomes part of the union and it's just the greatest group of all time. And they're carrying around two by four. Fuck, fuck Jim Duggan, Jeff. He sucks. Just going to say that right now. <laughs> Let's get back to Jericho. So when the clock finally ran out on August 9th on uh, Raw's war in Chicago, Illinois, the rock was in the ring cutting a promo. Jericho entered the arena and proclaimed raw is Jericho and that he had come to save the world wrestling federation referring to himself as Y2J as a play on the Y2K bug kids. If you don't understand what that is, Google it. Uh, it was a real thing. Um, Jericho himself says that he, he his mannerisms and everything. He regrets a lot of things that he did during that little segment um, it is funny because Jericho talks about that the ratings have been in like in the toilet and like it's like the the peak of when ratings were for the WWF were around this time period, which is wild to think of. He um, pretty much describes WCW in his promo and he's saying that's what the WWF is at the point. Like 
long drawn out promos, old stars no one wants to see, things like that. It it's fucking it's it's hilarious. It's a hilarious promo, and the fact that he wrote it down on notebook paper, it's in one of his books. Like he's got the pictures of the the paper he wrote the promo down on. He's like it's one of the first promos he had ever wrote because he wanted it to be good, so he had it in there and and, and knew what he wanted to say before he ever walked out on stage. Yeah. Uh, it's really good. Definitely go back and check Jericho's books out. At least the first two, they're really good. I watched, I read those. Like, I'm not a big reader, just that I don't have time. So I, I, uh, you know, sat down and actually read both of those books. They are really good. I highly recommend them. Jericho made his in-ring debut on August 26th, losing a match against Road Dog by DQ on the very first episode of SmackDown after he performed a powerbomb on Road Dog through a table. Jericho's first long-term feud would be with China for pretty much feuding over the Intercontinental Championship. After losing to China at Survivor Series, Jericho defeated her to win his first WWF Championship at Armageddon. It's kind of notorious that Triple H had heat with Jericho because um, they told him to kind of, she told him to bring it, not to not to throw any soft shit at her. So he mm-hmm. punched her and let it blackened her eye, and everyone turned on Jericho. It's like, what the fuck's your problem? She's a woman. Why'd you hit her? And even she was kind of like, yeah, why'd you hit me so hard? Yeah, so, it's kind of like he got set the fuck up <laughs> pretty yeah, much and- right out the gate. It, that's kind of like the perfect analogy for the wrestling business because I've seen that shit happen and that's pretty much how it is. And it's pretty fucked up. And uh, Jericho had his back against the wall pretty much from the day he debuted on uh, getting heat with guys like Taker and people like that. And not intentionally, but he's just trying to go out of his way to try to help get himself over. But, you know, it can it can be a double edged sword. Uh, That feud included a controversial finish during a rematch in which two separate referees declared one of them the winner of the match for the championship. As a result, they became co-champions, during which Jericho turned face and became sole champion at the Royal Rumble. I believe it's a three-way match with Hardcore Holly. It is. Why? Why? Somebody had to take the fall that wasn't (laughs) China or Jericho, essentially. So Bob Holly got put in there, which... You gotta admit though that ninety nine two thousand hardcore Holly was pretty over with the fans because that was when he was doing the super heavyweight thing. Crash just came on board; they were carrying the scale out. Um, so hardcore Holly Holly was kind of over. They were even giving him um, commentary time at this point, like letting him go out there and commentary. But uh, he he wasn't out there saying put the belt on him yet. But he was out there pretty much Alabama ended up on commentary with Jim, Jerry Lawler couple times how do you like me now that's all i can think of oh bob holly jericho would go on to lose the title to then european champion kurt angle at no way out which leads us right into kurt angle we delved in pretty deep with kurt angle on our past episodes he's he's been on here i believe this is the third time kurt's been on the podcast yes i want to say so him and Brock and him and Benoit have been on the podcast. So uh, there's more Kurt Angle matches on this on our list, too. There's a lot of good ones on there. Um, technically, so we're he was pre- part of the Jeff Jarrett Sting match, too. So technically- You're right. You're right. He was yeah. the guest referee on that one. Um, so we're going to pretty much pick up where he got signed by the WWF. I know we had talked about it a little bit, but it goes right into this match. So 
Kurt had a tryout with the WWF and would be signed to a five-year deal by August of 1998. The contract offer came three days after his trial and began wrestling in front of a live audience in under a week. That's insane for someone to work that quickly to learn it. I know Triple H had been uh, talked about saying, and we mentioned it in our last episode with Kurt, that pretty much he was the fastest guy he's ever seen learn the business just to take flat back bumps. Boom, 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 boom. Hacking the mat. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Angle's first match took place August 20th, 1998 in a losing effort against Dr. Tom Pritchard, who has a training school. It's not in Knoxville anymore. It's not at the D1. It is actually at SPCW. Uh, it's in La Follette. Uh, I actually saw where they do the little setup, so it's not too bad. Shout out to those guys. His first appearance on WWF television was on March of 1999 during an episode of Sunday Night Heat where he took part in an angle with Tiger Ali Singh. His first WWF match was a dark match victory over Brian Christopher on March or April 1st. I didn't know that. In the following months, Angle wrestled on house shows and other dark matches. He actually took on Owen Hart in a dark match on Shotgun Saturday night just two weeks before Owen died. That's wild. Kurt I did know that just because I'd seen pictures of them wrestling. I think Kurt's in like regular black, like biker mm-hmm. shorts or something. So yeah, I, I did know that happened, but that would have been awesome to see them too later on after Kurt actually got into, you know, wrestling full time for the WWF. That would have been a pretty cool feud. I think. Yeah. I, it really, it really is curious to know where everything would be if Owen had never, have never died. Um, yeah. it, it really is interesting. I, I also wonder, you know, if, if Brett, everything would have been different for Brett as well because of that. It, it's just kind of a lot of what ifs that uh, Owen's missed. Great guy. Yeah. Great stories. Jarrett, Jarrett probably would have never left the WWF either. If you think about it, they went to WCW. Yep. So, they would have been a long tag. They would have been a long tag team because they were, they were tag champions there for a little while. Yeah. And the whole blue blazer gimmick involved Jeff Jarrett and Deborah. So it was, it's where it would have been. It's funny to see how things would have worked out because the bulldog came back in 99 um, would they have became a tag team again? Like what would have happened there? So, um, a lot of what ifs, cool things that like that could have happened to think about the sadly we'll never know, but it would have made a cool, cause I think the blue, blue blazer intercontinental title run would have been hilarious. I really do. I do too. I really do. I think it would have been great just to keep it going. And then they eventually have a big blow off and, uh, Owen, Owen could turn baby face. I think, but I really think him and bulldog, could have reformed the heart foundation later on in the late night, like late 99. And it would have added to the tag division. That's just me though. But like you said, we'll never know. After several weeks of vignettes, Angle made his televised WWF entering debut at survivor survivor series, 1999, defeating Sean Stasiak. I remember the promos. I uh, didn't really think much of the match just because it's Sean Stasiak. In his initial push, he remained undefeated for several weeks, eventually losing to the debuting Taz at the 2000 Royal Rumble. They watched that as well. Kurt would win his first championship, the European Championship, from Val Venus on an episode of SmackDown in February 2000. At No Way Out, as we were just talking uh, about Chris Jericho, he would win the Intercontinental Championship after defeating Chris Jericho after Angle hit Jericho with the belt behind the referee's back. 
Over the next following weeks, Jericho would make several attempts to regain the Intercontinental Championship with all the attempts being unsuccessful, largely due to Angle's sudden partnership with WWF legend Bob Backlund, <laughs> who had briefly returned to the company. Travis, I told you before we even hopped on, I had no recollection of this at all. I uh, had I no idea that Bob and Kurt were together. And see, man, like I, t- I alluded to in the last episode, this is where I am in my watch through of Raw, Nitro, SmackDown, Thunder. And I just watched the Raw after No Way Out. And Bob Backlund isn't on the scene yet. And WrestleMania is five weeks away. So this is very short term, very like, I feel like last minute. Um, I can vaguely remember it happening once you, you know, I saw the little promo video at the beginning of this where he puts him in the chicken, you know, crossface chicken wing. But dude, I I wouldn't have, I would now never remembered it until I watched the uh, hype video before the match. Yeah, I felt stupid when I was watching it back, and I was like, and I was doing my notes. I was like, when the fuck? Because I know Backman shows up at the 2000 <laughs> Royal Rumble. He's in the Rumble match. I remember that. So I remember that much. Mm-hmm. But and then I, I realized how short the run was. I was like, oh okay, that's why I don't remember it. I mean, I was fucking 11 years old, and it was. Uh, fucking you know like three or four weeks essentially so there you go bob backman was with kurt angle i did not know that for the longest time i didn't remember it while feuding with angle jericho had also started a feud with the radicals as chris benoit was trying to win the intercontinental championship eventually a two-fall match between angle benoit and jericho was signed for wrestlemania the first fall would be contested for the intercontinental championship and the second fall would be for the European Championship. I don't think they've ever done a match like this before or since, as far as I know. They have not, not that I know of. Um, as you'll see in this match, I'll talk about later, it's it's not really... I mean, it's a cool concept, but there's a reason they didn't do it multiple times. I think, I think you're right. So let's move on to the event. Travis, WrestleMania 16 took place in Anaheim, California. On April 2nd, 2000, with the attendance being 19,776 with a buy rate of 824,000. That is a lot. We're right in the middle of the Attitude Era. We're smack dab in the middle. Business is hot. Business is booming. Um, But when you break this card down, it makes you wonder, how the fuck was WWF ahead? Uh, Because this whole... I feel like people look at the Attitude Era differently than others. I think mm-hmm. they feel like they hold it to a regard like, oh, you know, Raw was awesome. There were all these moments. Yeah, that's true. But I enjoy wrestling. I like the moments too, but I enjoy good wrestling. And there's there's not a lot of great wrestling during this time period. Well, and to be honest with you, man... um, the moments we remember from the Attitude Era are the ones that are kind of cherry-picked and shown that that worked. If you watch back those old Raws, even the old Nitros, there's a lot of shit moments to get the one or two good moments in a month's time. Because um, I'll tell you, the Raw right after No Way Out is when Mae Young has the hand. Um, <laughs> and she has it on fucking, fucking Raw. And um, it's not good. That's not a good moment. I mean, the whole few, like she, 
she splashes somebody and then she grabs her stomach and she's like oh my baby and then they like ask when her period last period was and it was like 1957 and they're like there's no way you're fucking pregnant and jim ross is like i knew she wasn't pregnant the whole time and like it's just fucking dumb shit i mean that's a moment it's talked about because of how bad it was but there's matches and i've talked about it on previous podcasts too where it's a it's a dream match or a match you've wanted to see like chris benoit and the rock were having a stupendous match on 2000 raw and interference interference ruined the match at the end i couldn't you can't put a match like that on the podcast because it's a great match but this shit ended just like thunder jared uh, benoit and liger were having a killer match and then fucking the the rest of the uh the revolution runs out and ruins the match so like that's that's just wcw and wwe at the time i mean i know people get on us about talking about AEW, but I feel like they do that a lot. That, that a lot of their shows end the way that WCW in '98 ended, with just a schmosh finish at the end because they don't know how to book it to the next week without having some pull apart brawl to end every show. And eventually, people get tired of that and it gets old. And that's a lot of the interference matches now. Like you can just watch it out of the corner of your eye because you already know somebody's going to interfere in the match, and it's not even worth the time to watch it at that point. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Like I said, we're, I'm about to break this card down of what happened, and you'll get an idea of what I'm talking about, like what I mean by people holding us in high regard. The opening match to WrestleMania 2000 was Bull Buchanan and the Big Boss Man defeating D'Lo Brown and the Godfather with Ice T. Yeah. Why would and, you not? Why would you not put over the Godfather on this show? And and the funny thing about this is, is Bull Buchanan's a new character that hasn't even debuted on TV yet five weeks beforehand. Because Bossman's still teaming with Prince Albert uh, at that time. Before yeah, the paper, we'll, we'll get happened. to them. Uh, we're going to get the the fifteen minute time limit battle royal for the hardcore title in practice, like in, or on paper. This is a great idea. I enjoy this. Uh, mm-hmm. In practice, this is one of the biggest fuck ups on on a WrestleMania match ever. They fucked the pin up at the very end. It's supposed to come down to the last second. One, two. Um, the timer's supposed to go Started off. Early. And they 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 got into the position early. Um, and then to Tim White's credit, there's a lot of shit going on during this match. There's just a lot. So <laughs> Tim White has a moment in our match that uh they call him out about the other one because uh what is it? Benoit does a dragon suplex and Kurt Angle's shoulders are up. And then yes. it still counts. And the and Jim Ross is like, his shoulders are up. His shoulders are up. Why is he counting? And then they're like, oh, yeah, this is Tim White, the guy that <laughs> the controversial finish of the Battle Royal. So, yeah. I will say, uh, so I'll get to the competitors. So Hardcore Holly defeats Crash, Bradshaw, Farouk, Funaki, Joey Abs, Pigas, Rodney, Mosh, Taka Michinoku, Taz, Thrasher, and Visera. I get they want to get people on the show, and I'm okay with this one. This one gets a pass yeah. for me. I would rather watch this match than Bull Buchanan and Big Bossman. That's just I me. I feel like Taz had more steam, though, to, than to be in that match at this point. Like He was still being pushed at this point. He was over. and But I guess they need a little bit of a star power punch to that match. So it made sense, but they could have put Taz in a singles match, I think, on this Mania. Yeah, they... I that I think they just already lost faith in him already. Um, it was a project, and Vince already was already pulling the plug on it like immediately, which is kind of horseshit because Taz 
had a lot of legs to stand on to be something great because you like you were saying they want to give that match some like star power. The next match was TNA defeating Head Cheese. Head Cheese is Al Snow and Steve Blackman. Why is Al yeah. Snow and Steve Blackman not in the Hardcore Battle Royal? Because this is when they're pushing Head Cheese, man. He needed a gimmick. And this is where they have the midget in the, or sorry, little person in the uh, cheese co- cheese costume or whatever. He comes out wearing the like the Swiss cheese outfit, and it's so bad, like it's just terrible. <laughs> Travis uh, retracing okay. his steps there on that one. That's some good shit. That makes me happy. Uh, and then pretty much the most notable match from this card. It's the three way ladder match with Edge and Christian winning the tag titles. Uh, defeating the Dudleys and the Hardy Boys, it's hard to top that match. That match is so good. No, that that's the match that steals the show, and it's literally a match I think they didn't know what to expect out of. They're like, oh, the, the Hardys and Edge Christian had a great ladder match at No No Mercy. Let's throw the Dudley Boys in there and see what happens. I mean, that's essentially what they did. Dude, there are so many fucking tag matches on this show. Like we already, this is the third. Mm-hmm. This is the third tag match on this show. The next match is a cat fight with special guest referee Val Venus as Terry, who had the fabulous Moolah in her corner, defeating the cat with Mae Young in her corner. The least we talk about that match, the better. Uh, we get a the six- only single match on the card. It is the, the that's the only notable thing is this is the only singles match on this entire card. Explain. I I, I don't I don't get it. Uh, we get a six-man tag match. China and Too Cool, Grandmaster Sexay and Scotty Too Hotty defeating the Radicals of Dean Malenko, Eddie Guerrero, and Perry Saturn. Big mistake. Wrong team won. They, they've, they've clearly already picked out, too, that Ben Wall is going to be the star of yep. the four. It's very clear that that's where they're going with it. Um, I feel like uh, they already know Dean's going to be the lower card guy, Eddie's going to be your bid card guy, and Saturn's just going to be there. That's how yep. I look at it. That's kind of where we're at. We would then get this match, the triple threat match with Kurt, Benoit, and Chris Jericho, which would lead us into another tag team match of Kane and Rikishi defeating Degeneration X, which is Road Dog and X-Pac with Tori. Just realize there's no Billy Gunn on this show. He uh, tore his rotator cuff. That makes sense then. That because that's sense. why the, D- the Dudleys beat him at No Way Out, because uh, Billy has a torn rotator cuff. And then he that gets makes kicked sense. Out of D- DX the next night. That's fucking stupid. And then, of course, the main event, Triple H would defeat Mick Foley, The Big Show, and The Rock with a McMahon in every corner and in a four-way elimination match. Uh, I feel like this match uh, would, would have been really different if Steve Austin would have been healthy because I've always heard the story was it was going to be Triple H and Austin uh, in the main event. Yep. Which and makes you, you gotta, wonder where The Rock would have been. You also got to think where would The Undertaker have been because he's out too hurt. Yeah, uh, tore his groin at this point. So where would where would, would I bet it would have been Taker Big Show because that's kind of what they were leading to with them in the uh, the unholy alliance and everything. He was training him to be the next Undertaker like character. I get I I bet that's what it would have been Big Show and Taker. Yeah, because they do a really big turn. Because Big Show becomes babyface and wins the title, and that's who Triple H defeats to get the title back in um, the early in early two thousand. Yep. Um, 
On Sunday Night Heat before WrestleMania, it was revealed that Bob Backlund had mentioned the idea to management about putting Kurt into a two-fall match for each title. Saying it was tough love, Kurt would then lose his temper and put Bob Backlund in a cross-faced chicken wing. And as far as I know, that's the last of it. That's kind of the end of it. Yeah, that's the blow-off to the whole Bob Backlund mentorship, which is three, four weeks in total. Now, Travis, let's kick to our ads really quick, and we will be right back with you. Next Generation Wrestling brings some of the most talked about and star-studded professional wrestlers from around the world. Based out of East Tennessee, NGW is becoming one of the most sought-after independent wrestling promotions in the past four years. Witness NGW Live or on demand on the High Spots Wrestling Network streaming app. Follow us on social media platforms at NextGenTN. And we are back, guys. If you guys want to watch this match along with us, you can go onto the Peacock app. It's also available on Daily Motion. But if you go to the Peacock app, you just search WrestleMania. It will be Season 16, Episode 1. We're going to start this episode around the 1 hour, 54 minute mark in uh, 54 seconds. So it's gonna you're going to see Kurt Angle uh, making his entrance here. Travis, are you ready to roll, buddy? Let's do it. Alrighty, guys, we're going to say three, two, one, and play. There we go. Ooh. I'm kind of leaving this in on purpose right there because the first thing I noticed on this episode as we're watching along here, uh, Kurt Angle's coming out. They've dubbed over Howard Finkel's ring announcement. Yeah. They dub over it because this is the time when they're, they redub a lot of stuff where they say WWF. So they have uh, Howard Finkel redo his introduction and he says uh, World Wrestling Federation Intercontinental and European Champion instead of WWF. And it's obvious dub over. Oh, yeah. Before the match started, uh, Chris Jericho called Kurt Angle Kirk Angel and Benoit Mr. Roboto, which I thought was fucking hilarious. It's, 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 it's typical Jericho callback. It's one of his calling cards is to make fun of people's names. And I always love that. Uh, the entrance intro to that cruiserweight battle Royal was top notch. Oh, it was really good. Definitely go back and watch uh, that episode with us uh, in the archives. It was actually in our top 10 for a very long time. until some of our new episodes came up. Uh, this match is kind of clunky, man. I'm not going to lie to you. Um, I feel like Jericho and Benoit are definitely, you know, well-versed in wrestling with one another. Kurt's kind of the odd man out here. And not that Kurt's bad. It's just, I don't think Kurt's been in a whole lot of three-way matches. No, and I honestly don't think um, a lot of these guys at all have been in a lot of three-way matches. It's 
they didn't do a lot in WCW, so it's still kind of a foreign concept um, for this. And then, like you said, that with the two falls, it makes it a little bit more clunky because they're not getting revved up for the first fall. I don't feel like they don't they don't pick up the pace to the second fall. And to me, that doesn't um, lend well to the pacing of the match. Yeah. Yeah, I agree with that. Uh, it is kind of cool. The first fall is for the IC title. Second is for the European Championship. Uh, according to Legend, Jericho was originally slated to be in the main event as his picture was prominently posted on the poster for WrestleMania. Um, take that for what it is. Uh, I almost feel like they could have done um, the way that they did the, the original promo. The Rock and Jericho could have been in the match at Mania. And uh, if Austin would have been healthy, Austin versus Triple H. Yeah, because a lot of the promo material is a uh, Rock, Big Show, uh, Triple H, and Jericho is the fourth man. Um, I even think some of the, when I looked at WrestleMania 2000, that was still some of the pictures was that poster, not the one that includes Mick Foley and stuff. So um, it'd been wild to see Jericho in the main event. Like, well, he has been the if, Linda if, McMahon's guy. Yeah, I also could have seen them do, doing Benoit and Rock at Mania and um, Austin and Triple H. Uh, I believe you were talking about the po- we were talking about the poster. If you go back and look on the P- on Peacock, that is the poster. It's the one with Jericho. Mm-hmm. When did so, you first see yeah. this match? I watched WrestleMania 2000 live. At uh, my cousin's friend's house, so I watched this uh, completely live when it first happened. So I was right in the mix of it. I did not. I think I rented the tape. I can't remember where. Um, but I remember I rented the tape and watched it that way, and I was like, "This is the you know." The where with all the where all the fuss is, I do know this is I believe the second WrestleMania to ever be released on DVD with WrestleMania 15 being the first. Yes, WrestleMania 15 is the first WWF DVD ever released, followed by the Hell Yeah Austin the Saga continues. I know that because I'm cool and used to have all of them, but uh, yeah, this is the second one. It was actually really hard to find for a while. It was a valuable <laughs> DVD until they started re-releasing everything. Yeah, it still pops up every once in a while. I remember it when I found this at McKay's one time, and I sold it for quite a bit of money. I was really excited about that. It's pretty good. Um, this match has a really hard time getting the crowd involved. I really feel like it's nine matches. They've already seen a hardcore battle royal early on, so they saw a whole lot of hardcore shit. And then they've already had the three-way ladder match. So pretty much anything after that three-way ladder match, it, it's going to be hard to get this crowd back into it. I know the main event has a lot of heavy hitters, so it makes sense to me why they get hyped up for that. But, I mean, you're looking at three guys who, you know, the longest guy who's been there is Jericho, and he's only been there, you know, not even a year yet. You know, Kurt debuted just a few months before this, and Benoit debuted debuted even sooner, like even, you know, closer to this date than the rest of them. So it's hard for these mm-hmm. guys to kind of get a real good reaction considering the fact that, you know, they're all pretty much brand new. Well, 
and it's two heels versus one baby face too, which I think also hurts it because Jericho doesn't really get a lot of hope spots. There's a lot more wrestling between Angle and Benoit, and like neither one of the none of the fans are really cheering for those two guys. Like they're waiting for Jericho because that's their guy in this match. So it kind of it kind of hurts from that point of view too. Is that uh, they're wrestling two heels versus one baby face, and they're not they're not doing anything to get heat on Jericho together either. I don't have those moments. No, like now, like typically you would see spot where both hills would work together to work Jericho over and they would keep going for the pin. They would drag, you know, they get to the point where they're working on that double team. Then they pull one guy off and then they try to make the pin, you know, they, they argue over the pin and you don't see that in this match. And I feel like, I feel like this is one of those matches where they, they went out there and called everything in the ring, but it's really mm. obvious that they did. I don't know if that makes any sense. Yeah, it's kind of like they didn't know what to do going into it, and, to, and then they got out there, and the, the fans weren't reacting to anything, so it's kind of like they froze a little bit. And you got to think, this is all three of these guys' first WrestleMania, so they already got the butterflies and the nerves. And it's, it's three guys that l- later in their careers, their matches are phenomenal. Ooh. And it, it's like I was saying earlier, I, hot take is, is I think this match is probably one of the worst matches they ever had together. And it's just because the chemistry's not there yet. But Benoit, Jericho, we know they have great chemistry. Kurt Angle, Benoit, Kurt Angle, Jericho. It just, it to me, I remember it better from my childhood than I do now watching it back like, because they had so many more matches that were better than this later on. Yeah, I going through and watching this, it's been so long since I've seen it. I know you added this match to the list, and I was really excited to watch it. I'm like, hell yeah, this is gonna be great. I mean, the, I mean, look who's in it. And then I watched it, and I was like, mm-hmm. man, the crowd, I feel like the crowd not being involved with this not getting the cross face chicken wing i love that i love that they do incorporate that into the match um but mm-hmm. the crowd not really being invested hurts this match so much because i feel like it, it it affects the guys working the match too yeah it's like it's like they go into we don't we don't know what to do to get them involved in the match and you have two guys though with with benoit and jericho that should should have kind of figured that out, but when the match seems to be centered around Kurt Angle, he needs to be leading it more than he is, and he's he's lost in that position because he hasn't had the time to to know what being a ring general is. I guess if you want to use that term, it kind of makes me feel like is they were depending more on him than they should have for this match. He was in a, in a bad spot. Yeah, beautiful headbutt though. I love the spot. I love that he threw Angle over one, two, and three. He threw Angle over the guardrail to keep him away. And Benoit wins the Intercontinental title. The only thing I don't like no. about this is now he's champ, so now he's going to try to win the European Championship. It makes it really hard for you to be hyped because it almost feels like it's a consolation prize, and that that you won the, you know, that you haven't really won the match. Well, to me, I always thought that the European should have been first. In the Intercontinental second, I just felt like that's the way the people view the belts is the Intercontinental is the, the better of the two belts. So, like, now it's like, oh, man, European title, cool, like you said. 
Um, but I do dig the fact that Kurt Angle doesn't take the pinfall, so it gives him a reason to bitch about it later. Yeah, I think um, th- this is a really cool spot. We'll talk about it here in just a second. Um, Jericho cuts off Angle and while he's on the top rope. He's trying to go for a moonsault. Um, Jericho's going to go to the second rope and try to do a back body drop. And the coolest thing about this is Benoit cuts off Jericho. I don't think I've ever seen that spot done where two guys are like that on the top turnbuckle like this. No, and WWF at this point wasn't really into Tower of Doom spots either. So, like, you didn't really know what to expect was going to happen. Kurt Angle dripping like hell sweat. Beautiful moonsault. I feel like Kurt had no right to do moves like that. Like he, there was no need for Kurt to do moonsaults ever. It's just a hell of an athlete, man. Trying to take it out. And here's what I understand. There's why are you counting down all three guys? Like that's not a thing. Fucking Tim White. Yeah, because technically, wouldn't you? It's a it's a triple threat match. There's no uh, countouts or disqualifications. Typically, in a triple threat match. That is correct. See, that's why triple threat matches are so new. They don't really, they haven't done a ton of them at this point. Oh, yeah. And he's going, look at the crowd. The crowd is popping for the walls of Jericho. And, oh, uh, Benoit breaks up the uh, the walls of Jericho. Um, like I said, I mean, crowd goes really wild for that kitchen sink. I will, I will say the second match is better than the first match, if you want to look at it that way. Like, I feel like they have the crowd more in this second match than they do the first first match. You break it down like that. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Um, I, I feel like Kurt is Kurt's not really shown a, a bunch to kind of show how great he's going to end up being. But mm-hmm. he's, I don't know. I just feel like there's something missing in this match, and I cannot figure out what it is. I agree. There's just something, there's just something off. Uh, like maybe they haven't they reached their peak. Another. Chemistry yet. Jericho was the first guy I remember seeing doing this as well. They're like double power bombs. Mm hmm. Also, that was it double underhook uh, backbreaker he does in this match. That I always love that spot too. Oh, God. Oh, yeah. And we're getting the uh, German suplexes here, the multiple German suplexes. Beautiful bridge. bridge. One, two. Kurt, I love the way he broke the pin up. He swooped in there and took the leg out. That was great. Yep, I did like that. Little things, man. Little things. You don't see very often anymore. This is it. This is the spot. Yep, that was a dragon suplex. It looked... Uh, it looked great, but he, his shoulder wasn't down. However, he made a good call by not actually 
you know, trying to count it. God damn, Tim White. Bump. Oh, Timmy White going down. Cross. The cross face, face is put here. on. He's tapping out. Ben Wash should have been double champion, man. Yeah, it makes him look strong as fuck. Then again, he gets put into the walls of Jericho, so it keeps Jericho looking strong here as well. Because that's a line tamer. Uh, ben Wall's gonna Need I believe he's gonna tap out. I don't know if we see it. Yeah, he's tapping. Oh, what a shot with the belt. Lion tamer, knee to the back shit. I like this spot coming up too. Uh Benoit's gonna He's gonna walk yep. around one, two. He pulls Jericho out. The funniest line of the entire match happens here. And uh after he pulls him out, Jim Ross goes, Benoit wants to take both titles back to Edmonton. Jerry Lawler says, What's in Edmonton? And Jerry or Jim Ross says that's where Benoit lives, and you hear Jerry Lawler go, ugh! <laughs> made me laugh so hard. <laughs> Benoit goes for this headbutt. I don't know how many times it. this match. That's good. The third? He went to the well, and it was dry. He's going to hit a lion salt right here. Oh, beautiful. Counter ref one, two, Three, that is the finish. Kurt loses both title belts back-to-back. -back. Really quick, Travis, cagematch.net users rated this match. What do you think they rated this match out of a 10? I'll say like a 7.2. A little bit lower. 6.72 out of 10. Most users say this is a sleeper match and underrated. Uh, but they also say the stipulation is a good idea considering that they were trying to protect Kurt, but they wish that they would have had more time. Um, which leads right into Lene's Mountie Mark of the Week. Four out of five rights. Four out of ten for this match. Given who's involved, this should be much better. Surprisingly, both Benoit and Jericho looked really off throughout this. A fun concept with the two titles on the line and great booking, having Kurt lose both title belts but by not getting pinned. But it's a shame it didn't come out of a better match. I have to agree with the guy. I have to agree with the guy um, for once when it comes to Lene's Mountie Mark. Yeah. This is this is where I was saying, man. Like I just feel like this match could have been better than it was. Like with the three men that are in it, uh, the second match picks up, you know, a lot better than the first. But I hate to agree with any Mountie Mark, but I think I'm gonna have to agree with this one because I feel like this match just could have been better. It's it's not the standard that these guys set that I remember. Like I remember this match with rose-colored glasses i really do i feel like the, the the cage match probably got it right i'd probably give it a six 6.5 so it's pretty close to what i would agree you know with it so i can't really say fuck you to that guy this week so i'm just gonna be like i will take your uh comments under advisement 
Yeah, his name is Four Out of Five. Is his name? That's so a uh, four out of five. Name. You are you are Lene's Mountie Mark of the Week. However, I guess you know that makes us part of your uh, your Mountie squad. I don't know what they're called. I don't know if they're called a squadron or what they're called in Canada. What that's Brandon? Imagine he knows. But uh, yeah, I, 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 I agree with them. I think you get, it's easy to tell that Benoit and Jericho are off. I'm wondering if everyone just had the pre-mania nerves, like the jitters, because it's all their first manias. That's that's what I can take out of it. Um, Kurt does yell, "I didn't get pinned after uh, it happened." He's like, "Well, I didn't lose my titles. What happened?" Um, but, but kind of, kind of rolling back through my opinion is this match should have been put on earlier in the show. And I think it's very clear to see Kurt was going to be a star. And then that Jericho and Benoit was going to be a money feud, which all does happen. Um, I do think it's great that they protected Kurt by him not losing both belts, but it's a good way to get the belts off him in lieu of something bigger that we'll talk about here shortly in the aftermath. Yeah. Agreed. Agreed. The aftermath, Travis, the next night on raw, Eddie Guerrero defeated Chris Jericho to win the European title with help from China, who turned on Jericho and aligned herself with Eddie Guerrero. Mamacita. Mamacita Latino heat. I've I this part of 2000 I've, I vividly remember everything about it from that point. Uh, him having the roses and having the lead pipe and the roses, great fucking stuff. Using the the roses on no, I think it's on no mercy. Mm-hmm. Yep. Will, you can use that, and then them going to the prom and all this other stuff. Like him, this is him, when Eddie Guerrero becomes a star. Doesn't he pin her in a match as yeah, well? She gets knocked out and he grabs her and like holds her head and like he's holding her on top of her. And then that that's how he wins the intercontinental title. I think like, cause he beats, they beat, it's a mixed tag match. It's Trish and Val Venus versus uh, Eddie and China. And it's whoever pins who wins the belt. So like China could have pinned Trish Stratus and won the title. So it's, it's a weird, it's a weird thing. Yeah, wins. it's very vivid. Uh, I'd love to get some more Eddie Guerrero on the podcast. On the April 17th, 2000 episode of Raw, Chris Jericho upset Triple H to win the WWF Championship after referee Cuck Earl Hebner made a fast count when Jericho pinned Triple H, causing Jericho to win the title. Hebner later reversed the decision due to pressure from Triple H, and WWE does not recognize Jericho's reign as champion. That was a hot moment. I watched that one live on Raw. It was, it was, it was, it was hot. Huge. I think it's Penn State University, yep. if I'm not badly fooled, which leads us to a match that we have on our wheel is the fully loaded match. The last man standing match between the two uh, is really good. But it all started with that moment, and that showed you how over Jericho was and how over he could be in the eyes of the fans that night because – People were legit shocked he won the belt, but super excited he won the belt too. Like there weren't people like, oh my God, he can't be champion. So when they took it away from him, people were booing their heads off. Um, it was a great moment. So they don't talk about it as much now because Jericho's in AEW, but it's a huge moment in raw history for the longest time. Yeah, I think uh I think it was kind of a way to test the waters to see if Jericho was over. 
and it, it, they, uh, us as wrestling fans are very fickle. I know the whole Daniel Bryan thing, I'm fickle. Um, but we are, we're very fickle. We, but when we see somebody get an opportunity to be better than, greater than what they were, in this case, Jericho defeating Triple H, because Jericho's never been put in that situation. We love that. We love when there's something mm-hmm. different. We we grew up, and when we were adults, when it happened, but we grew up with Orton and Cena, and that was the feud. They always feuded over the title belt. It's like, you can only do this match so many fucking times, guys. So any opportunity that we got to see somebody different in it, it was exciting. We're like, yes, finally someone new. And people were clamoring to see that, especially with Triple H being a shitty heel People wanted to see someone get the best of them. Well, and at this time, it was always Rock Triple H, Rock Triple H. That's the feud of the year, 2000. Pretty much the end of 99 through 2000 is Rock Triple H, Rock Triple H. So people were just excited to see something besides Rock and Triple H and a new person be put into the mix because Big Show's gone after this mania. Like, he's shipped off to the fat farm, essentially. Um, I think he does, you know, the, the gimmick where he does like the the, the showster, the showster, and the big show, Shovkowski or whatever. But like yeah. essentially, Shokishi, like he's done in the main event after this, and then Benoit's still not there yet for them. Kurt Angle's still not there yet for them. So anybody fresh in that main event is well looked at because people were tired of seeing Rock and Triple H. I think. I agree. I agree. When you start to think about it, um, Triple H, so year 2000, Royal Rumble 2000 was Mick, No Way Out, Mick, WrestleMania, Mick, Big Show, Rock, Backlash, Rock. Um, Something comes out of the Backlash, so that's... Judgment Day, Rock. Judgment Day, it's the Iron Man match, Taker comes back. Um, and then I believe it's going to go right into King of the Ring. They do that six-man tag match with Triple H, Shane, and Vince versus Taker, Kane, and Rock. Rock. Rock's <laughs> title back. Yep, Rock's title back. Um, so it's June, July. What's July? July's when it changes because Rock writes Benoit. That's, is that fully loaded. loaded? Yep, so Jericho and yep, Triple fully H. Fully loaded then. 2000. And then SummerSlam 2000 is Rock. Uh, Triple H H angle. Um, Then we get Unforgiven. That sounds right. And that's when we get that four-way match. Rock, uh, Benoit, Kane and Undertaker. And then we get, I believe, No Mercy. And that's Angle winning the title. And Triple H and Austin's back. By then, Austin's back with Triple H. So Triple H pretty much is fueled intertwined pretty much the entire year in some form with the rock. Hey, and look back, man, the triple H is in the rock. match when he debuts at survivor series 96. They've been entwined technically for four years. Cause 97 triple H and the rock feud over the intercontinental title. That's who the rock beats. title. The rock, the rock and triple H DX versus the nation 99. It's, DX the nation, but then the rock turns face and triple H is the face of the corporate ministry and they're wrestling each other. And you've seen pretty much rock and triple H in every iteration. You can see them in at this point. So I can see why people were clamoring for something else, but as a kid, you're just living in the moment of, Oh my God, they're having a 
Iron Man match, or oh my God, they're they're having a triple threat match with Austin, which didn't happen, which would have been cool. But it's just they tried to put some people in the main event, like the Big Show, and it just didn't work. And then Mick Foley retires, and it's just cool to see new people. So I think that's one reason Jericho was pop was so fucking huge that night. Yeah, I agree, hundred percent. On the May 4th, 2000 episode of SmackDown, Jericho defeated Chris Benoit to win the third his third WWF Intercontinental title, but lost the title to Benoit four days later on Raw. Benoit and Jericho would feud over the Intercontinental title with the two meeting at Backlash, Judgment Day, and SummerSlam with Benoit winning all three matches. I cannot remember which match it is, but Benoit legit chokes out uh, Chris Jericho with a cross face. His face turns fucking blue. I, is it SummerSlam? It may be SummerSlam. I know it's one of those matches, but that that it's pretty sick to see. Throughout mid-2000s, Angle aligned himself with Edge and Christian and feuded with two cool and Rikishi, with Angle going on to defeat Rikishi in the finals of the 2000 King of the Ring tournament. Kurt would win it. Throughout the yeah. summer, Kurt, Kurt feuded with Triple H and Stephanie McMahon and would begin pursuing the WWF title. He would go on to win the WWF title by defeating The Rock, as we were talking about at No Mercy 2000. Angle retained the WWF championship for the rest of the year in matches against The Undertaker at Survivor Series. Notable because Taker forgot his pants. He wears The Godfather's pants on that show. Mm-hmm. And in a six-man Hell in a Cell match, which is still called an Armageddon Hell in a Cell match, as far as I know, on most wrestling games, for or for a long time, and that's what it was called. It was an Armageddon Hell in a Cell match. Um, mm-hmm. pretty, inv- pretty innovative and fun match to go back and watch with the guys involved. Uh, then he would go on to defeat Triple H at Royal Rumble 2001. At 2001's Royal Rumble, we would also see Jericho defeat Chris Benoit in a ladder match to win the WWF Intercontinental title for the fourth time. That match is on our list. One of the better ladder matches ever. And the spot on the top, which probably doesn't really hurt. <laughs> I mean, it probably hurts, but... The, the lion tamer on top of the ladder. I remember seeing that as it happened. There's another pay-per-view I watched as it happened. And my mind was blown. Was like, These guys, if they take one, shift their weight one way or the other, somebody's getting hurt really badly. So um, I I love that ladder match. Um, and if, also on Kurt, if you ever want to watch him get concussed, just watch SummerSlam 2000. Oh, my God, yeah. Concussed. Table, table breaking from under him. It's pretty rough. Uh, Kerr would finally lose the title to The Rock at No Way Out in 2001. And then in early 2001, Benoit broke away from the Radicals and turned babyface. He and Kurt would feud throughout 2001 with many of those matches being on our list. God, they, they wrestle at Mania. They wrestle at Backlash. They wrestle at Judgment Day. What is it? One's an ultimate submission match. One's uh, like a three stages of hell, but it's Judgment D- Judgment Day or... Backlash is the ultimate submission match, and then uh, Judgment Day is the two out of three falls match with the third being a ladder match, I believe. Mm-hmm. And like and I said, all those the gold the, medals, the medals, the medals, yep. yeah, the medals because Benoit puts them down as tights. Yep, and uh, like I said, most of those matches, if you go back and listen to our uh, Kurt Angle, Chris Benoit, Royal Rumble 2003 episode, those are on our list. Uh, he has a uh, they both have a huge run of great matches Benoit having like one of the best runs ever in like a, like a two month period uh, before he, uh, he injures his neck and has to have a uh, surgery. So 
that's what I got, Travis, for this match. Tell me what you think about this match now, watching it back in adult Travis eyes. I am a little disappointed in the match going back on it now. Um, I know it, it's still a good match. It's a serviceable match, but it's, it's not the way I remember it. I, I love all three competitors in the match. I love their their style their and the matches they have with each other later on as it goes on. But I don't feel like this is one of those like, man, you've got to watch this match matches, you know, like it's a good match. You can watch it, put it on and, and serviceable. Please do. If you listen to this podcast, watch the match and see, see if we're wrong. See if I'm wrong. Like see if I'm a Mountie Mark for not agreeing that this is, a great match, but I just feel like it's a middle of the road match. It's not their best outing. It's not. Um, I mean, I, I like it being on the wheel. I, I like the diversity of not every match being a certified banger, I guess, but it gives us something to talk about and also remember that, Hey, maybe this match isn't what I remember it from fucking 20 years ago, 23 years ago. Now, like, I looked at it at the time because it was a first time match between three guys I really liked. So I think I would look at it with a little bit of rose colored glasses and now watching it as, as adult Travis with bills and stuff. I'm like, yeah, it could have been better. Yeah, I, I completely agree. I, it's the first episode. I agree with the Mountie Mark and uh, it's a middle of the road match. I think it's pretty good. It's serviceable. I think a lot of things came into factor. I think both got all three guys had the WrestleMania jitters because it's their first wrestlemania i think you know they had to follow the ladder match not like indirectly like right behind it but they had to follow that ladder match which has become iconic you know people always talk about tlc and tlc2 you know from SummerSlam uh, 2000 and wrestlemania 17 but this is the match that pretty much started it all uh when it comes to those three teams and mm-hmm. it pretty much stole the show. To me, it's the most memorable match from the, the pay-per-view. People don't remember uh, the main event. They don't remember uh, pretty much anything else. I mean, I remember the stuff, but like, if you're talking to people, they're going to remember TLC. They're not going to remember Benoit, Angle, and Jericho's first WrestleMania. And uh, I think that's, that's a lot. Like, There's a lot of things playing you know, a, a role in this. But I do think it's a great opportunity like you said to not have every match be a quote-unquote five-star match um but it is serviceable and i enjoyed watching this little bit this was worth watching just to to come to the realization that bob backland and kurt angle were together because i completely forgot that even happened and 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 there's little things like Kurt Angle sweeping the leg on Benoit. Like there's still little little gems in the matches of things. Like I like the finish where Jericho line salts and beats Benoit while Angles are down in the corner. It's quick. It's sudden. It's it's a finisher move. It gets something you know gets that move over. I feel like the second match is better than the first match. I feel like they get into a groove in the second match they didn't get into in the first match for the Intercontinental Title. And I wish it would have been like that the entire time. But triple threat, we gotta we gotta look back in time. Triple threat matches for WWF are still a novice thing. Like they just started really doing them in '97, and it was here and there. Like it wasn't prominent like it is now. Like where every Raw has a triple threat match and and stuff. So there really wasn't a formula for these guys. WCW wasn't doing triple threat matches at all. Like that, that I can remember. 
think they started in 99 because we talked about what was it one where it was uh uh vampiro benoit and somebody was like no it was was it bret hart jeff jarrett and benoit was like three minutes long and they ended yeah. with a guitar shot so um gotta realize that we're in a different time man 23 years ago and that's a crazy thing to say because it doesn't feel like 23 years ago watching this stuff back but man we're getting old yeah i agree uh also we didn't put into 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 the fact that all three of these guys are kind of hindered by the match type it's a different match type it's a one-time match type that i've never seen them do ever again so they kind of had to play to that as well um but yeah i mean definitely check it out and and kind of get an idea with what um we're talking about i think i think you know it's a serviceable match it's worth watching just for seeing all three men's first wrestlemania match and and granted on this card it's probably the second best match though yeah and i think that's one reason i look back on it too is when i watched wrestlemania 2000 there's not a lot to pick out that's great and to me this is the second best match i mean hardcore battle royal is probably third just because of all the action and, and craziness in it but this is the second best match on the cards. So I think that's one of the reasons I look at it the way I did is like you're picking out good things from a crap card. And yeah. this is one of the better things on the card and it stuck out at the time, but now watching it in a vacuum, it's, it's not, it's not what, what Benoit and angle where it was from Royal rumble 2003. And that's just my honest opinion. Like if I could go back on it now, I, I probably wouldn't choose it to put on the wheel, but it's a good thing to kind of go back and look at this and be like hey man maybe i maybe i should have looked at this at different eyes before suggesting it but that's how we find out and that's, that's how we well, you know go back on things and i wouldn't i wouldn't say i'd never watch this match again like you said it was a serviceable match but i wouldn't be like hey man you gotta watch this this is one of their best matches ever kind of thing well here's the thing that. too is there you gotta think i imagine there's a ton of matches that we thought probably weren't great back then that are great now when we go back and watch it in retrospect. So um, it can kind of go both ways, but I'm glad it was on the list. Like I said, I'm glad uh, we got to talk about uh, these three guys once again, because I mean, they, they were pretty much a big part of our WWF, you know, years and WWE years of watching wrestling. So I love getting to talk about Jericho. Uh, I know it's a, it's a sensitive topic, but to talk about Benoit and his wrestling um, career, not, you know, what happened later on and, and, you know, towards the end and, and Kurt as well, just starting out here. So it was, it was really fun. I really enjoyed it, but Travis, it's that time of the show where we get to go to the will of destiny guys. If you've never listened to the podcast before, this is how we decide what the next episode is going to be. Myself and Travis have put together this list. It's an ongoing list. We take suggestions from our buddies as well. Uh, our wrestling recommendations. And right now, Travis, we're looking at 289 matches. I know you added some, but how it works is we, we put all these matches into a randomizer. We shuffle them up and uh, we spin the wheel, the wheel of destiny and whatever it lands on. That's the episode we cover. This covers pretty much every wrestling show you can think of. It has WWF, WWE, WCW, uh, NWA, UWF, WWWF, New Japan Pro Wrestling, Ring of Honor, AEW, I don't know if I mentioned it, NXT, and even the local show that I'm involved with, NGW, has matches on this list. Really quick, Scott added, our buddy, good buddy of the show, Scott added two matches 
that he wanted on this. Uh, he added uh, Jerry Lawler versus Austin Idol in the cage, hair versus hair, uh, because his dad was at that event in Memphis. Uh, and he said his dad was only 17 years old at the time. And then he also added uh, Kurt Henning versus DDP from Starcade 97. He says that match has a very sentimental value to him. Well, you got to think that whole Starcade 97 card should have been a classic card. And for whatever injuries, everything else, kind of fucked that card. So um, I think that's kind of a thrown together match on the card. But if I remember correctly, it's not a bad match. It's a pretty good match. Yeah. Because uh, this Flair doesn't work that show, does he? He does not. Um, it's supposed to be the Giant and Kevin Nash, and Kevin Nash has to pull out because of, like heart issues, and then they have their match that sold out ninety eight instead. Um, Savage is like a last minute replacement for somebody in in a tag match. I want to say like he's not even supposed yeah, he's to be teaming really with on the Vincent card. and Conan. Yeah, and then. Scott Hall doesn't have a match. He just cuts a promo. Like it's a weird kind of card because it was building and building and building to be their best card of all time. And then it's like rug after rug after rug, just getting, getting pulled out and don't even talk about the sting Hollywood Hogan debacle that happened at the end. Yeah. But yeah, Scott likes that. You also added a couple of matches and a couple of new Japan matches. Uh, and you also added, uh, what was the other one you had? It was WWE. Oh, it was Kurt Angle versus Randy Orton from One Night Stand uh, 2006. So yep. it's another uh, another gym, another Kurt Angle match. So it's really exciting. So guys, let's... Oh, Ring of Honor. Ring of Honor. Ring of Honor. We're going to spin the wheel and make the deal, Travis. Like I said, we are, we're at 289 matches right now. So what do you think we're going to get? Man, I want a William Regal match. I'm going William Regal. Something mid-90s WCW, 93-94. I'm going late 90s ECW. Jerry Lynn versus RVD. Oh. This is going to be a good one, Travis. Talk to me. Oh, two out of three falls. It is technically like a three stages of hell match. Sean versus Triple H Armageddon 2002. I don't hate it. I... I've only watched that match twice that I can think of off my head right now. And it was a huge deal because Shawn Michaels was only supposed to be one and done at that time and comes back and wins the world heavyweight title and puts on some very good matches at this point in his career for a man that was only supposed to have one more left in him. This is a pretty physical match too, for a man that's been off for four years. Yeah. Shawn is rocking that Bob haircut. And he's also uh, not wearing the shit brown tights that he wore at Elimination Chamber. Um, Bring out some red ones, I think. I'm going to say it's red ones as well. I'm most positive. He also takes a really sick uh, ladder bump in this match. Mm -hmm. I believe the first fall. The first fall is. I can't remember. Is the first fall a normal match or is it a street fight? I want to say normal street fight ladder. I think is the way it goes. No, because they have a Don't they use a cage in this? think that's a different one i want to say you may no. you may have me wrong there no this is it yeah this is the the first fall i believe is a regular match uh the second fall is a cage match and the third is a ladder match 
weird to have a cage match too, but the the first but one yeah. is a street fight. I just I so I just found the match the match like so the first one's a street fight, second one's steel cage, third one is uh the ladder match. So I'm thinking two of out of three. Triple, Triple H and Austin was standard street fight uh, steel cage. And I was taking yep. out the street fight and putting or taking out the cage and putting in the ladder match for theirs. So that's that's my bad. But yeah, it's weird to see the steel cage match be the third, the second fall, but makes sense because Shawn Michaels is the master of the ladder match, third match. I Triple bet H Jeff's gonna has... love that. Jeff's gonna love Shawn Michaels being on this one. Triple H was also a ladder match guy because he had SummerSlam 98 ladder match, which is not talked about enough. It's yeah. on our list. Well, Travis, I'm really excited to talk about this one. It's part of the uh, 2002 that we talk about. We've already went into pretty much deep retrospective in the whole year of 2002 being one of the most influential years ever in wrestling. So I'm really excited to kind of cap off the end of that year. We'll talk about Sean coming back, Triple H uh, and his uh, quad injury. I want to say this is Triple H's first match on the podcast. Ruthless aggression. Yeah. Yeah, I think it is Triple H's first match. I want to say it is. Um, yeah. This is also beardless Triple H, too. Uh, yeah. You are right. Yeah, that's weird. I hate I hate that the hill shave triple H <laughs> like that. It's weird. But Travis, polish this episode off for me, man. What you got? Uh nothing much, man. Still selling stuff over on the eBay at TGL the Man 12. Getting ready to put some wrestling magazines up, some stuff like that. Some stuff I haven't really tried to sell before. So we'll see what that's all about. Um just recorded a podcast yesterday, which is was a Tuesday. This is a Wednesday. Um, shout out to the guys over at Bleeding John. They had nothing to report tonight because Moxley was not on Dynamite. So, you know, just out there doing Lord's work. So they didn't they didn't have to do anything tonight or worry about anything because Moxley wasn't on the show. Which, thank God, Dynamite's Dynamite's got enough going on right now. Um, sorry, don't mean to sound like I'm shitting on AW. I'm just saying they they have a lot going on in their company at this point in time, trying to figure things out. But um, I recorded. With the wrestling purists last night for No Way Out. I'm not No Way Out. One Night Stand 2006. Um, that's where I got the Kurt Angle uh, Orton match from because I watched it back. I was like, man, this match is actually pretty good. So I put it on the put it our, put it on our list. So be on the lookout for that. Um, should drop on the same day we drop Friday. So we, that'll be out there. Look look us up there. Um, follow me on the Twitter at Travis Lasseter if you want to. Fuss at me about my opinions on this match or any other match we have, or just want to look at my eBay stuff and tell me that I'm overpriced jackass or something. You can find me there, but that's pretty much all I have. Yeah, man. Um, I, like I said, I just did a, an episode with the wrestling purists. We did a uh, great American bash 1995. Shout out to Doss Wonderkin, Alex Wright and Brian Pillman. Love that match. Fuck. Hacksaw Jim Duggan. Yeah, uh, Jeff's a big mark for Hacksaw. We figured that out, so that's a little wild. I want to get to this really quick, too, Travis. Before I got on earlier to, uh, tonight when uh, I was running some errands, came back home, and good friend of the show, Scott, sent me a, a long voice message saying that we are hypocrites because we give AEW so much shit um, and that we aren't fans. Technically, I personally have no issue with AEW. 
I just think that they have way too much too much stuff going on right now. Um, they try to cram way too much into a show, and um, there's not consistency in the booking. That's just me. That's my opinion. I mean, that's fine. There are AEW matches on our you know list, but they've not been chosen, so we've not been able to cover them. So fuck you, Scott. I mean, I, I'm same sentiment. I said it in um, our group message earlier, and you said it earlier on this podcast. Uh, I'm more of a story guy in my wrestling than I am just a spot for a spot's sake. And I feel like a lot of the weeks, AW gives you a super card, which isn't bad, but there's no rhyme or reason to it. They don't develop anybody. I can look at the card they put out for a dynamite or something and tell you who's going to win or lose. Like, there's no real mystery there you don't have to watch the show like um you just want to see some spots cool i mean that's a you know it's your brand of wrestling you you do that um but the matches like mjf and and brian danielson had that's on our list because great story cm punk mjf great stories on our list but i just don't need to see blackpool combat club and the elite pull apart every fucking week on three different shows now i don't i just don't need to see it and if I watch in the BCC, yeah, Blackpool Combat Club, um, <laughs> make sure I got that right. Um, wrestling, I don't want to watch them wrestle and Action Andretti and two other jobbers. Like, give me something where put them in a match against the House of Black and have the elite interfere and cost them the belts or something. Like, just some feuds are not long enough. CM Punk, Eddie Kingston is a prime example of that. Some Some of their feuds are too fucking long. Blackpool Combat Club versus Jericho Appreciation Society was too fucking long. It's too funny because Bullshit. I didn't even I didn't even tell you that part, Travis. But that's exactly what I told Scott. Is like they have to find a medium between the two. You can't mm-hmm. have you know good storytelling and good you know mic work back and forth between Eddie Kingston and uh, CM Punk, and then you do one match, you're done. All that effort thrown into that one match, done. After that, everything's fine. Hunky-dory. They're walking around. They see each other. Blah, blah, blah. And then, on the other hand, Jericho and fucking the Blackpool Combat Club, it was like a fucking year thing. Like, we get it. Like, they did every match they could have done with them. And then it finally ended. So, it's like, dude, find a median. You do pay-per-views pretty much bi-monthly. Do that. Start a feud. Have one match. You do a match on Dynamite. And then you do your third match on the big show, on the next show. Big uh, pay-per-view. Before anybody comes at me, I get it. The bloodline feud has been over a year long, but that's a good fucking feud. The twists and the turns and that it's not the same shit. Fucking Jericho appreciation society and Blackpool combat club should have ended four times. They had four blow off type matches, four blow off type matches. And they just kept coming back. Like, I mean, if you didn't have another idea, that's cool, but give it a break. Come back to it. That's my thing. Like, and and WWE does the same stuff, man. They they they'll hot shot stuff sometimes, but they have more experienced people on the writing team. It's not one dude doing it. Yeah, people give them shit for having thirty writers, but it's also thirty brains you can bounce stuff off off too. And some of it's good, some of it's bad. I'll give WWE shit when they don't do stuff right. NXT 2.0 sucks ass. I don't think there's one fucking match on their NXT 2.0 that's on our shows. 2011, 2012, 2010, WWE sucked dick. I got tired of seeing John Cena and Randy Orton. That's an example of them carrying out a feud way too fucking long because they didn't have another fucking feud to do. 
So I get what Scott's saying, but it's also I, we rip on everything. If you go back and watch Wrestling Ruin, I hated ECW so bad I had a fucking monthly segment about ripping <laughs> on ECW every fucking month. And even if it was good shit, I ripped on it just because I fucking didn't like ECW. But I think Tony Khan's biggest thing is is he he wants to book super cards that he would have loved to have seen as a kid or as a young adult, and he doesn't give any long a, a ton of long term storytelling. I mean, certain angles he thinks out, some he doesn't. But you cannot book a pay per view that is going to go for five hours and only have four fucking matches announced the week of it, and then throw me six other matches on there and expect me to give a shit about them. I'm sorry, I don't give a shit. It has no story, no background, no anything. You threw a four fucking way tag. Uh, a title match with Arn Cassidy and it just to give Arn Cassidy something to do for your forbidden door pay-per-view. There's no backstory, nothing to it. Don't give a shit about it. Sorry. Good. Probably yeah. going to be a great match, but doesn't mean anything to me. The one exception I'll give them is forbidden door is kind of one of those. It's just like blah versus blah. I'm okay with, I'm okay with it just being random matches. Cause that's the whole idea of it being a forbidden door. I get it. Um, but I just want some consistency. That's all I want, man. That's all I want. Yeah. Well, and I talked about it on the Pierce podcast, and I'll say this right now. If this whole elite and punk thing doesn't work out where they can make some money and draw some money off their real life heat, and you've allowed those two groups to divide your fan base into two fan bases that won't watch one show because one guy's on it, won't watch the other show because one guy's on it, then you've already fucked your business. And I'm sorry. If you can't stand up and be a man and be a fucking businessman, put your foot down tell these guys you're going to work together and make me some goddamn motherfucking money then you don't need to be running a wrestling promotion sorry if that hurts scott's feelings or any aew guy that watches the show that's my opinion that i mean same thing happened to wcw you allowed certain people to run the company into the fucking ground and then they didn't want to work with each other because they had creative control they didn't want to work with this guy they didn't want to work with that guy and history repeats itself and if they don't correct the shit then they're going to go right down the same thing and tnt will pull the plug on them WWE will have their fucking library too. So there you go. That's my piece on the AEW shit. <laughs> well, Scott, I hope you enjoyed that. Love um, you, Scott. Follow us on all social media platforms. Uh, Wrestling Recommendations on Facebook. You'll be able to watch along the matches with us. We've been posting those. Uh, we usually post those at 10 a.m. on Saturdays. So enjoy that. Um, episodes drop every Friday uh, at midnight. So we appreciate all the listens. And if you follow us on TikTok, let us know. Uh, wrestling recommendations on there. We always have a lot of videos uh, blowing up on there. Uh, and Wrestling Recom, R-E-C-O-M-M, on uh, Twitter. Definitely check out NGW, guys. It's the show I'm involved with, Next Generation Wrestling, at NextGenTN on all social media platforms. We've already announced uh, Breeze, formerly known as Tyler Breeze, taking on our champion, Matt Cross, at our next show, which is Saturday, July 8th in Knoxville, Tennessee, called Wrestle Wars. Uh, we've also announced uh, Sue Young versus Danny Moe. Uh, we got a big three-way match for our Eastern States Championship, Logan Easton LaRue, uh, taking on Braden Lee and uh, the viral Caleb Conley. Every time I check our Instagram, I have like 100 views or 100, like, or 100 likes on the video of him uh, kicking Sleazy E, uh, which is uh, Jason Kincaid's brother out of his wheelchair and driving his wheelchair around. Got into a big argument with this, this lady who said that we don't give a shit about disabled people and we don't give a shit about people in wheelchairs. And uh, even though it's professional wrestling, it doesn't make it okay for this to happen because it could make somebody else go out there and take their wheelchair. 
I was she like, knows what? the guy was in on it, right? Oh, I explained to it. It didn't matter. It was an advocate for something. Wanted somebody to hear her voice. Here, listen. I have never watched a wrestling show and went out and said, hey, I'm going to kick this motherfucker out of his wheelchair and I'm going to drive it around in a square and then give it back to him. Also, I've never had a baby come out of my, or never had a hand come out of my ass or my penis. So I didn't do a May Young. I didn't fucking jump off a goddamn cell, hell on a cell and want to throw myself through a table. Like not all of us are fucking idiots. Yeah. Uh, her her exact words. Cause I said pretty much the exact same thing you're saying. She goes, just because you won't, doesn't mean there won't be someone out there that would. And I said, if that's the case, then they're not in the right mind and you can't put the blame on us on that. So it was a big ordeal. I had to turn comments off because people <laughs> were just going at it. And I got tired of getting notifications about it last weekend. We're not, not we're not all superhuman TV show. Yeah. But yeah, definitely get your tickets for that uh, at nextgentn.net slash tickets. Check that show out. It's going to be good. Travis will be there. I will be there as well. Come say hello. If you listen to the podcast, say what's up to us. Uh, but until next week, Travis, till we get three stages of hell to cap off 2002 with Triple H and Shawn Michaels. I am Eddie, and this is Travis, and we will talk to you then. <laughs>